Everything is expensive these days, you know that. The government is printing trillions of dollars in consumer prices higher than ever. If the government continues its printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But there are a few things you can do right now. American Hartford Gold can show you how to protect your money, your retirement, your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. Start with a short phone call, and they can have physical gold and silver delivered right to your door or put inside your 401k or IRA. So please call or text them right now. Tell them Bill O'Reilly sent you. Call 877-444-GOLD, 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. Again, that's 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Welcome to the No Spin News Weekend Edition. So I looked around uh, to... Uh get the best guess was we always do on the Spin news who really knows uh, what's happening in the world of terrorism and, and things like that. So the man's name is Ambassador Robert O'Brien. You may know him. Uh, I've seen him on uh, other programs. He uh, was a former national security advisor to Donald Trump, 2019 to 21. Before that, special presidential envoy for hostage affairs. And, uh, Ambassador O'Brien really helped us with Killing the Killers, which I think is the best book on terrorism. I think I'm bragging here, Killing Jesus, best book I did. But if you really want to know about terrorism in a modern world, Killing the Killers book for you. Anyway, the ambassador joins us now from Salt Lake City. So number one, um, how did the Trump administration, when you were inside it as the uh, national security advisor, keep a lid on Hamas Israel. How did you guys do that? So, Bill, it's a great question, and it goes back to uh, Ronald Reagan. It's called peace through strength. When you're strong and your adversaries know that you're going to stand by your allies and that you're going to be tough, uh, the world is a more peaceful place. Our allies are safer and America is safer. And that's true for Ukraine. It's true for Taiwan. It's true for Israel. We've got three great uh, adversaries, Russia, which is since the Trump administration has invaded Ukraine. Iran, which has essentially invaded uh, Israel through Hamas, its cat's paw. And now we're waiting for the other shoe to drop with what's going to happen with Xi Jinping and China and Taiwan. So uh, unfortunately, weakness begets uh, is provocative and it, it begets uncertainty and, and our adversaries attempt to take advantage of it. And uh, when we were strong, this didn't happen. When we were weak or appeared to be weak, it does uh, happen. Me, and, and that's a concern. Give, give the audience an example of strength. I mean, you're obviously saying that Biden is a weak president and the villains are taking care, uh, advantage of that weakness. But give me an example, a specific example of Hamas Israel and what the Trump 
administration did to, to forestall military action? Yeah, so another great question, Bill. So it goes, I'd like to take a look at the Abraham Accords. When we brought peace to the Middle East, we brought peace to Israel and Bahrain and Morocco and Sudan. And the way we got there is we recognized Israel's right to have a capital in Jerusalem. We moved the embassy to Jerusalem. And you'll remember people said, you can't do that. The Arab streets are going to go nuts. There'll be a war. But we moved the embassy and we said, this is where we're, we're planting our flag. We've recognized Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights. And that, that again sent a message that we're standing by our allies in Israel. For the UAE, we put maximum pressure on Iran, and Iran had, we almost eliminated their, their foreign currency reserves when we left office. They had $4 billion in foreign currency reserves because we enforced the sanctions against them. Today, they have $70 billion. They're a rich country. And what have they done with that money with either the, the oil sales, the hostage ransom, the $6 billion hostage ransom? They've used it to support Hamas and Hezbollah and their other, their other uh, Khatib Hezbollah in Iraq, uh, the Houthis in Yemen. And so we starved Iran. We gave the UAE the weapons that needed, the Patriot missiles, we, and we, we took care of Israel. And, and so the, our Arab allies realized America was there, we were strong, and, and this sort of thing wouldn't have happened. Now, you are the top hostage guys, and Hamas is holding, you know, a considerable number of hostages now. Is there any way that you would see that the Biden could do, uh, Biden administration could do more than it's doing now to try to get those people out? Are they missing something? Look, I, I, I know some of the things that are going on, and so I don't want to interfere with any negotiations they've got going, but I think they're, they are doing the right thing with Qatar. Uh, Qatar's been a, a, an ally. I know people have been upset with Qatar because some of the Hamas leadership is there, but uh, Qatar is working to try and get the American hostages out with the Biden administration. Uh, what I've said before is that we needed to forward deploy our Delta forces and our Navy SEAL teams into the Sinai on the, on the south side of the Gaza Strip and Egypt and into Israel so that when Israel goes into Gaza City and, and opportunities arise to, to rescue a hostage or two or four or five, you know, keep in mind they'll probably be dispersed and be in the tunnels, but we need to have our guys there, our, our hostage rescue specialists there to help the Israelis because they're going to be outmanned and, uh, and there's so many hostages, they're not going to have enough special forces to get them all. So I think our, our, our folks need to be on the ground, our specialists, uh, to retrieve those hostages when the opportunity arises. Now, why would Hamas, um, they know they're not going to beat Israel militarily. Um, why now? You know, Biden's got one more year. Um, why, what are they hoping to accomplish other than a worldwide um, conflict, which some people think will happen? I don't think it will. Uh, but what's motivating Hamas to move now? I, I think they saw a gap. They saw the Afghanistan in a chaotic environment and, and situation. They, they watched uh, Russia invade Ukraine. They probably figured our hands were full with other crises, especially in, in Europe. And they thought they had an opportunity to take the Israelis out. The other thing is the, the Iranians have been very, very uh, aggressive over the past year or two with all the money they've, they've made from their oil sales since the sanctions have been lifted or or, the, or a blind eyes been turned, I should put it, to the, their sale of oil. And so they've got a lot, Hamas is a lot of money. They've been being trained for a year or two. And I think they also saw Israel divided internally on the judicial reform and politically and thought they had a, an opportunity here. I think they made a huge mistake. And uh, I think the Israelis are going to unite. You've seen a, a very professional, very well thought out, deliberate uh, military operation to surround Gaza City. They'll now go into Gaza City to destroy the tunnels. And they'll destroy Hamas because 
it goes to your point earlier, uh, Bill. The, the these these Hamas aren't even terrorists; they're a bunch of serial killers. It'd be like if you had Ted Bundy living next door and he killed one of your kids, and someone said, "Well, just yeah. build a bigger wall and give him some more food, and maybe he won't kill the rest of your kids." Any I mean, rational they, they, person, they, any rational person take out Hamas. knows that you got to break this movement, um, and you got to break it now. Final question, and I, this is a speculative question that I don't really, I, I'm not comfortable in that zone, but you know more than anybody about it. Do you believe that Israel will directly attack Iran? Iran's behind the Hamas movement. Without Iran, Hamas can't do anything, pretty much. Um, they have to get the mullahs approval, and the mullahs, as you just pointed out, assist them. Do you believe that Israel will take action directly against Iran? Well, I think Israel would prefer not to. Uh, they've, they've got Hamas in the south. They've got Hezbollah up in the north in Lebanon. I think the Israelis would like to take out Hamas. And I think if Hezbollah uh, gets uh, frisky and, and starts to in, engage with Israel and tries to support Hamas, I think the Israelis will take care of Hamas first and then take care of Hezbollah. I think they'd like to avoid a, a long-range battle against uh, Iran. But on the other hand, if the Iranians get involved and shoot missiles at uh Israel, that would be a huge mistake because right, they'd rather have the reach to, to get them. And, and, and I think they would. So I, I think so, without a, a direct Iranian attack on Israel, I think that the Israelis will hold off. When you were in office, were you and the president, Trump at the time, confident that Israel could militarily take out Iran's nuclear campaign, what they were doing to develop the nukes, which you assume they're still doing? Were you confident that Israel had the power to destroy that? Given enough time, Bill, the problem is they don't have the long-range aircraft that they need, so there's a lot of refueling involved, and there's a lot of sorties for their F-15s, their strike eagles, to get to, to Tehran uh, and to the, this, the nuclear sites to hit them. They'll have to hit them multiple times. They don't have the, they don't have the B-52s or the B-1s like we do uh, or the B-21 that's coming online. So yeah. Israel could do it. It would take time. And the problem with, with the time is, as you've seen with the, the engagement with Hamas, it, the world doesn't give Israel much time. We, we went into Afghanistan. Everyone knew we were going to stay there as long as it took to get the job done. The Israelis are going to get two to four weeks before the, the pressure on them gets too heavy uh, for them to continue. And so, again, like like Hamas, taking out the Iranian nuclear facilities, if, it, if Israel did it alone without United States help, they could do it, but it would take them a while. Okay. Uh, I want to thank you again publicly for helping me with killing the killers. Couldn't have done it without you. And everything Perfect that point. you told, everything that you told Martin Dugar and I, 100% true, because of course we checked it. Um, and um, I really appreciate you doing that. That It meant a lot. And millions of people have written, have read the book so that they have this primer on what kind of a dangerous world indeed still today that we live in. Ambassador, all good things to you, and I hope we can talk again soon. Thanks. Hey, guys, it's Vivek Ramaswamy here, inviting you to listen to my podcast, Truth. We just relaunched it after the campaign, and we are already riding up the podcast charts. Here's why. I think that hard, in-depth conversations about the tough issues is the only way we're going to get this country back. Because make no mistake, we are currently in a war for the future of America, and you cannot win a war unless you're willing to speak the truth. If you want standard conservative talking points, this podcast is not for you. But if you want to go deeper and hear the conversations you're not going to find anywhere else, the conversations that will challenge you, that will challenge me, then subscribe to Truth with Vivek Ramaswamy 
on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And I promise you, you're going to cover terrain that you're not going to hear elsewhere. Who is there for the families left behind when a service member or first responder dies or is catastrophically injured in the line of duty? Who is helping our nation's homeless veterans? And who is helping our nation keep its vow to never forget 9-11? I'll tell you who. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation. The foundations in the line of duty programs honor our nation's heroes and their families. That includes its Gold Star, Fallen First Responder, Smart Home, and Homeless Veteran programs. The foundation's Never Forget programs engage people in 9-11 Remembrance Across America, over 80 runs, walks, and climbs a year, dozens of golf outings and barbecues, and the Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute is helping to educate kids in kindergarten through 12th grade about our nation's darkest day, 9-11. More than 95 cents of every dollar you donate to Tunnel to Towers goes to its programs. This charity keeps its word and honors our nation's greatest heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. You're listening to the No Spin News Weekend Edition. Okay, another poll. American Pulse Research. 568 respondents, Republican 34, Democrat 39. Question number one, do you think the world is safer today than it was before Joe Biden became president? Safer 25%, less safe 56%. Who are the 25% that think the world's safer? And these are zombies, non-thinking ideologues. Question number two. Among the four issues, which do you support the most? Strengthening border security, 80% of Americans support that. Support for Israel, 75%. Interesting number. Support for Ukraine, 67. Taiwan, 64. Republican primary. Trump 61%, DeSantis 12, Haley 10. Democrat preference. Remember, there's not a real primary. Biden 38, Gavin Newsom 17, Bernie Sanders 10, Kamala Harris 1%. That is stunning. All right. So let's go to the guy who put that poll together. His name is Dustin Olson. He uh, comes to us from Washington, D.C. He's the host of a podcast, Political Trade Secrets. We like that podcast. This is not, by the way, and Dustin, I'm sorry to intrude on your time. This is not a podcast. This is a broadcast. Dustin does a podcast. All right. So what's the big takeaway from you from this poll? So we got into a lot of different issues. You just highlighted some of them. And I would say that that number that you started off with, that, that so many people think that this country and the world is less safe since Biden became president. And it's interesting as I look at the numbers, uh, really his disapproval seems to track with what people think about the economy right now. But I have a feeling that over the next year, as things change in Ukraine and things change in Israel, where he's doing a little bit better on his approval, that uh, it might start to track one of the most shocking numbers, which is the uh, disapproval on the border, which um, people know that you were one of the first people to really highlight this as an issue. And it's amazing here in 2023 that this really could be the undoing of an American president. And, you know, there's no way to defend it. 
Now, Biden runs around going, Bidenomics is doing great and blah, 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 blah. He's running against a grocery store and a gas station. So that is fairly self-evident. Now, you also have another, I, I don't know whether you want to scoop yourself or not, but you got something else important coming out this week, right? Um, well, so one of the things that uh, I think that you probably are referring to is one of the most interesting questions that we asked in this survey is, um, I hadn't seen anybody else asked it, is do people believe that uh, college campuses have become a breeding ground for anti-Semitism? And, and it's really quite shocking to me, and I think quite shocking to the country, that 57% of the country believes that that is actually the case. And by far, actually, if you don't mind, I'm going to look at my notes real quick, because I actually have an interesting breakdown for you on uh, Republicans and independents and Democrats. 77% of Republicans agree with that statement that campuses have now become a breeding ground for anti-Semitism, and 66% of independents agree with that. Well, Democrats, 36%. You know, this is the far left that dominates many college campuses now. They hate Israel, as we've been over and over and over again. I don't know if it's rank anti-Semitism so much among the children, because most college kids are children. They don't know anything. Um, as they're captives by the far left ideology. Last question, Justin. Um, when you see that Trump has the nomination locked, I mean, yep. I can't see, there's no way he's not going to be the nominee for the GOP grand old party. But Biden, I don't think he's going to make it. You have an opinion on that? So, well, the first thing I thought is, I've, you, last time we talked, we talked about, you know, this really, this primary was over at that time. So we just, we just decided to ask the American people, what do you think? What do Republican primary voters think? And Trump had 61% from primary voters in support. However, it's almost 70% think that the primary is over and he's effectively the nominee. And I think that that's where the primary is going on that side. It is very clear, though, that Democrats, when we ask them, do they want Biden to be on the ticket, 36% said they uh, definitely want him, and 35% said they wanted somebody else. So that's what we asked the next question is, who would you like? And uh, Gavin Newsom is obviously uh, coming right. uh, close to, to Biden on that. But they don't know anybody else, so uh, it's going to be a real disaster for them. So the uh, podcast, again, is Political Trade Secrets, and you would we um, you should check that out. Doesn't uh, just keep us posted with all your data. We really appreciate you coming on today. This is the No Spin News Weekend Edition. Okay, so uh, we have a very interesting guest tonight for you. Uh, she's a young senator, national senator from Alabama. She has a new book out called God Calls on Us to Do Hard Things, Lessons from the Alabama Wire Grass. Uh, Senator Katie Britt joins us now from Washington. So we'll get to your book um, because I, you and I are simpatico on a lot of this stuff. And that's not why I'm having you on. But, you know, when I read your book, I, I could be reading some of my columns. Um, so we're kind of there. But first of all, I want to get uh, to uh, the abortion thing. Now, Alabama obviously is a pro-life state. So you don't have these kinds of controversies there, do you? Yeah, you know, we we protect life in Alabama, and uh, believe that we need to do that at every turn. And it's not uh, just about being pro-birth. 
and making sure that every child has an opportunity to be born, but it's making sure that that child truly has an opportunity for the American dream. And so it's to what you said earlier, it's focusing on, on the total package here, looking at, and we have our team digging into uh, options about childcare and how we make that more affordable and accessible. We talk about educational freedom, ensuring that no child zip code determines their opportunity because we have children that are, are trapped in a failing school of no fault of their own. And so giving them a pathway, knowing that education is the pathway to prosperity, it's a pathway to achieve the American dream, focusing on those things, focusing on mental health. I, you know, okay, I've but, but you're getting ahead now. All of them. You're, you're getting ahead of <laughs> The fetus's ability to go to school is, you know, we have to give the, look, Wait, you, what I'm trying you, to get across here is there are different areas in the country that see the world in a different way. So Alabama is primarily a pro-life state. You're not going to have to deal with the stuff they're dealing with in Ohio. Um, but if you, uh, Senator, came to New York and ran for the Senate here, you get clobbered. I mean, you get slaughtered. Because people believe what they want to believe. And Alabama values, uh, and I have to confess, I feel much more comfortable with Alabama values than I do with New York values. And I'm a native New Yorker. I know the state as well as any human being on the planet. I'm much more comfortable with your values because of my belief system. But I know I'm not going to convert the secularists. And that's the heart of this abortion issue when it comes to voting. You're not going to change a lot of minds. Well, I, I think it goes to what you were talking about earlier. And one of the things that I've been trying to talk so diligently about, and we actually do talk in the book, you, you talk about the moral aspect of this and moral clarity. We've seen an erosion of, of a moral compass in this country. And when you're talking about it, you know, when you mentioned what would be okay in New York, I mean, we need to state the facts. We need to talk about how liberal, how far reaching the Democrats' policy is on this. Every single senator in the United States Senator with a D by their name voted in the last Congress to allow an abortion up to the moment of birth. And, you know, that is just, that puts us in line. There's only five nations, the United States being one of them, that allows you to take the life of a child after 24 weeks. That, that is, is absolutely that true, but it also goes to the mind of the American voter. Uh, half the country doesn't care. It's reproductive rights is much more important than human rights to them. And then when you go human, they go, oh, the fetus isn't human. And then where do you go? You can't go anywhere. So anyway, all right. Um, let's go. You went to Israel, right? About two weeks ago. Were you there? I was there. Yes, that's correct. Okay. Do you think Biden is doing the right thing now? Backing Israel, spending a lot of uh, U.S. taxpayer money over to help Israel. Do you Are you behind him in that? Or do you feel that he's got, uh, you know, some things that you don't support. Look, I appreciate him uh, going to Israel right after the terrible barbaric attacks of October 7th. I appreciate that. I appreciate the deterrence with regards to making sure that um, we have people there in the Mediterranean Sea. But the, the truth is, this is foreseeable when it comes to the weakness from this administration. We've seen it time and time again. Him easing off of sanctions instead of reinforcing sanctions uh, is totally unacceptable. We know who is funding this. It's Iran. We know that they chant death to America, death to Israel 
scale. And so we need to make sure that we go back to a strategy of maximum pressure. We need to work with our colleagues, other countries in the G7 to make sure that loopholes are actually closed. And we have to actually project strength. I do believe, listen, when we say never again, which is what we said 80 years ago, we said never again. It has to actually mean never again. We need more strength. All right, so you you want more pressure put upon Iran. Is that what you're saying? I absolutely do. But I also want even stronger messaging coming out of the White House. When you have a White House press secretary that dances around anti-Semitism, it oh, is completely crazy. and totally unacceptable. It is crazy. Okay. These are barbaric attacks, Bill. When I saw them, these these people wore GoPro cameras on their head. They gouged out eyeballs of men, cut fingers off little boys, uh, cut feet off of little girls before murdering an entire family and then eating at their breakfast table after doing that. Disgusting. I saw where they raped women. I, I saw where they b killed Look, children. You're absolutely <laughs> right. There's no doubt about it. And the, the pro-Hamas core is the extreme radical left, which, you know, is, is unfortunately a presence on a campus. I want to get to one more thing before we get to your book. So you have a staffer who in D.C., a dangerous place now, the District Crumbly is dangerous. Uh, was mugged by gunpoint, guy took her wallet, car, zoomed away. The federal government runs Washington, D.C. Can't you guys do anything about it? We sure need to. Uh, we need to see real leadership, both from the House and the Senate, to continue to send a message. Listen, young men and women from across this nation should be able to come to serve their country, which is exactly what they're doing when they're working here, and be able to do so in safety. We should be able to have visitors and school groups come to our nation's capital and not be worried about being mugged when walked, walking two blocks. It, it, this is unacceptable. If you look at the failed leadership of the mayor here, it, it, we call it Tent City. Um, she has put the priorities of the homeless population above the, the safety and security of others instead of trying to figure out a way to deal with both. This is once again the liberal left and their failed policies going weak on crime, um, tre not treating our law enforcement officers with the dignity and respect they deserve. We've got to continue to back the blue, send a message, yeah, I would like and to then see... figure out what you're never going to get it through the Democrat Senate and, and Schumer in a million years. Never. But I'd like to see a bill, you know, a real bill introduced by Republican senators say, look, we want to clean up the nation's capital. And here's what we want to do, because, again, the federal government has the last say there. All right, let's get to your book. God calls on us to do hard things. Lessons from the Alabama wire grass. Now, I've been to Alabama a number of times. I support uh, the uh, Talladega College down there. You know that uh, the yes. black school. Yeah, I'm a big supporter of that school. Um, we brought their marching band up here to march in the Macy's St. Uh, St. Patrick's Day, Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade when nobody else would pay for them. I paid for them to come up here and I'm not bragging about it. I'm just giving you a little context that I know what's going on in Alabama. So when I'm reading your book, I go, this is a good book because I like it. <laughs> you know, it, it coincides with my belief system. But then it occurs to me, and this is a frustration in my life, that I can't convince people who don't want to believe in God, and believe me, their allegiance are growing in this country. I can't convince them 
that there is an act of God who wants them to use their talents and, and solve problems and go after things that are evil. I, I just can't convince them. Look, uh, we certainly can't convince them if we don't talk about it. And I think it is critically important um, to continue to talk about our faith and to talk to remind people who they are and whose they are. And so I have seen in the peaks um, and certainly the valleys in my life that relying on the Lord, coming back to that foundation consistently um, is what is what enables us to, to move forward. And I think everybody needs to realize that we're all called for a purpose. God calls each of us for a purpose. And we talk about it in the book, you know, your arena may be different than mine or someone listening is different next to the person sitting to them. It doesn't make it any less important and any, um, you know, it is, it is so important that we all uh, lean into that, figure out what that is and move forward. And so in the book, we talk about that. We talk about the foundational principles of faith, family, and freedom. We talk about the next generation and equipping them with the dignity of a, you know, an honest day's work. We have an entire generation of people um, that, that are being taught by our government to just keep your hand out and let them give you more, more, more instead of um, instead of doing that. So seeing the country that our children are growing up in and the country we grew up in, you know, how do we reinforce the values that make this nation so great? Those of freedom, of, yeah. of, of liberty. Most of it, and that's what most, this is about. Right. Most of it should fall on the shoulders of the parents uh, because the state is never going to do that. Um, but I applaud you for writing the book. And it's again, God calls on us to do hard things. Senator Katie Britt. Uh, I hope we can talk again, Senator. It's very nice of you to come on and uh, chat with me today. Hey, I appreciate it. And every generation is called to do hard things. I think we're seeing what our hard thing is right in front of us. And it's time to stand up and, and, um, and do hard things. Okay, good. Thank you very much. You're listening to the No Spin News Weekend Edition. Did you know every day is a perfect day for peace of mind? With American Home Shield Warranty, you are covered for unexpected breakdowns like leaky faucets or faulty water heaters. Choose a plan that fits your budget and rest easy knowing repairs and replacements are taken care of. Simply contact American Home Shield when an issue arises and their trusted pros will handle it according to your coverage. Don't let worries about appliances and home systems weigh you down. Celebrate the reassurance of protection. Don't worry, be warranty. For 20% off plans, visit ahs.com slash bill. For more details, see ahs.com slash contracts for coverage details, including limit amounts, fees, limitations, and exclusions. New Jersey residents, the product is being offered is a service contract and is separate and distinct from any product or service warranty, which may be provided by the home builder or manufacturer. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. So anti-Semitism is obviously a big story in this country. And, um, you know, nobody knows what's in people's hearts. But certainly if you support Hamas, you're anti-Semitic. <laughs> okay. 
I mean, there's no wiggle room out of that. So there are 6 million Jews in America, 7 million in Israel. All right. 6 million in America. Yet uh, American Jews have a disproportionate amount of wealth and power. Why? Because they are well-educated, generally speaking. They work very, very hard. Okay. And they are organized. That's why they're succeeding in our capitalist society. Not only that, but they control a large part of the entertainment and news industry. All right. In Hollywood, there are, I mean, I got the list here of powerful people and it, it is uh, formidable and always has been, always has been. Louis B. Mayer, all, all of these old movie moguls, they're all Jewish. But there is a problem now in that community because there, are, there is a tendency for American Jews to vote liberal. I think that's an accurate statement, okay? Most Jewish Americans are liberal. But now the liberals are against Israel, at least 20% of them. So there's a conflict. And I wondered why, how these uh, movie moguls in Hollywood are handling that. So who best to ask, and a guy who's been in, uh, in Hollywood uh, since Walt Disney, Ben Stein, He's the author of a new book, which is a good book. I'm reading it now. The Peacemaker, Nixon, the Man, President, and My Friend. Just out, and you should check it out. Um, Mr. Stein it was a speech writer for President Nixon, a Yale grad. Not going to hold that against him. And he joins us now from L.A. So in the showbiz community, you know, the criticisms of Israel have been pretty muted, I have to say. Because they are progressive far left. There's a big cadre of them. How are you seeing it? I see it the same way it always is, that the uh, Jews in Hollywood in very large measure have substituted the worship of the Lord God Almighty for the worship of Karl Marx. And this has been going on for a long time, although as Hollywood is not all one stone, one monolith, one might say. Uh, there's the uh, studio heads before the war, before World War II, they were all Jewish, and they were all quite conservative, very, very conservative. Uh, and then the writers and actors, uh, they were very left-wing. Not all, but very many of them. And those people have become ever more powerful and uh, prevalent in terms of their political views. Uh, the uh, people who are uh, said running the studios nowadays are not the same kind of people who are running the studios in the days of Louis B. Mayer in any way before the war, but certainly before the Vietnam War. And uh, just by dint of uh, burrowing, burrowing, burrowing from the inside out, uh, the powerful leftists in Hollywood have taken over Hollywood. And uh, it's very much a shame. It's a, it's a tragedy, in fact. Uh, and uh, it's a disgrace uh, to the Jewish people because uh, Hollywood was one of the few clearly clearly on Jewish, on Israel's side, entities in America. And uh, well, now, now we have the, the uh, let's just say, uh, very devout Christians. They're even better. Uh, but uh, Hollywood has changed. They're, Jew they're still Jewish. Yeah, I don't see but any. Uh, not uh, right wing. Right. I, I don't see any um, outright support of Israel. And maybe I missed it. 
But look, you got Jeffrey Katzenberg, one of those powerful executives in Hollywood. He's heading up Biden's reelection campaign, a money raiser. Uh, you got Ari Emanuel. You got Steven Spielberg. I mean, you got powerful, very, very wealthy people funding, funding, funding progressive causes all day long. But on the Israel thing, they're muted. I, I haven't seen any demonstrations in Hollywood pro-Israel. Have you? Have you seen uh, any of that? Uh, well, I, I belong to a group called the Republican Jewish Coalition. And uh, but we are nowhere near, not even remotely, at the level of power, wealth, and influence of the people whose names you just mentioned. Uh, and I don't see it either. And, and it, uh, it's a very, very heartrending, or as my wife would say, heartrending uh, situation. And uh, I, I don't understand it. I mean, I don't understand it. If, I, if Hollywood cannot be for the Israel state, the state of the Jewish people, I don't know who can. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm man, waiting. I'm waiting for some, you know, organized thing out of Hollywood supporting Israel. I have not seen it. But the one thing that I have seen is that Hollywood now supports the cancel culture big time. Because I big know time. big, 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 right, big time. I know a lot of people. Not as many as you, but I know a lot of people in the showbiz industry and a lot of them are moderate conservative. And they say, if I say one word that's not left wing, I don't work. And that's well, that I, across I've, the board. I've, I've seen that in my own life and uh, I've seen it uh, happen to me uh, very cruelly, I think, uh, because uh, I uh, helped uh, produce, write and star in, so to speak, a documentary which said that God created the earth and people and creatures on it and not evolution. And for that, I was really very much barred from Hollywood for a very long time and still basically still am. And uh, th that's a, a horrifying situation. Well, people don't know this, but I, I'm going to share with you because you're my pal. Before the actual breakout of war between the U.S. and Nazi Germany, Hollywood sent representatives to Hitler's Germany and invited representatives from Hitler's Germany to come to Hollywood to screen Hollywood movies and make sure they were not saying anti-German, anti-Nazi things because they did not want to offend the uh, German and German-speaking uh, audience in Europe. And this is, as I say, something not everyone knows, but it was a disgrace and it happened. And uh, I think it's in a way still happening and uh, very, very, very bad news, disgraceful. And um, I don't know what else I could say about it, except if it's bad news and it's disgraceful, it's really a bad thing. Thank God for the evangelical Christians. Thank yeah, God it, for them. Ian, sure. And and not only that, but the Roman Catholics, and they're all staunchly against the terrorists and pro-Israel in this regard. Now, um, I'm learning a lot from your book, which is my litmus test to read any book. And I'm one of the things that I learned that I had no idea was that Richard Nixon was a hero in the Yom Kippur War of 1973. Now, for yes, people who hero. don't remember that, Egypt and Syria attacked Israel. And Israel was ill-prepared for the attack. Almost exactly the same that happened in October with Hamas. And Israel exactly. was fighting for its life in 1973. And Nixon okayed a technology, a new technology, and sent it to Golda Meir and the Israeli government that made it more difficult 
for the Syrians and the Egyptians to launch their rockets. And it, it was a new technology. And Nixon's advisors did not want to send that over. But Nixon right. overrode everybody and did it. An amazing yes, fact. Even, even Mr. Kissinger, obviously a Jew, people often think I'm Kissinger, even though I'm much younger than Kissinger. Um, Kissinger said, no, 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 you got us in terrible trouble with the Arabs. Nixon said, I don't care. This is right. It's just right that, that the Russians uh, cannot be allowed to dominate the Middle East by sending these super good jamming devices that jam the electronics in the Israeli Air Force. And Nixon said, I want to hear the sound of the jet engines taking off from Andrews Air Force Base with the devices that will help the Israeli Air Force. That saved Israel. That saved Israel. Were you surprised because you were you were there? And were you surprised was, that Nixon overrode I, all his advisors? I was very not at all, because bear in mind, I don't know how well you remember this. My father was chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors right. of the president, under President Nixon and Ford, and, and he was pleading, 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 along with several other high-ranking Jewish people at the White House, for Nixon to help Israel. But I think Nixon would have done it anyway. Nixon's mother had said to him, when Nixon was a young man, you will someday be given the chance to help the Jewish people, the children of God, you will be given that chance. It will be a gigantic historical chance. Go ahead and do it, and you will be in the history books forever as the person who saved the children of God. But you know what? Everybody's forgotten it, which is why they oh, should yes, read the book, The Peacemaker, Nixon, the man, president, and my friend, Ben Stein. Hey, Ben, always good to see you, man. You know? Good to see you, sir. God bless All you, right. sir. God bless Thank every you word you much. said. Right. Thank you, sir. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Here's a gem from the No Spin News Vault. Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, as you know, uh, traveled the world under President Trump. We were able to interview him before the Biden speech. We were supposed to do it after because Biden was so late. We had to do the interview before we did it on tape. Well, so, Mr. Secretary, here's what I don't understand. I'm a simple man, as you well know. OK, there doesn't seem to be a lot of benefit for Putin here. He doesn't have economic benefit taking this portion of Ukraine. He's going to cause himself and his country a lot of economic pain. Right. So 
cost-benefit analysis. Why is the guy doing this? Do you have any idea? Well, I think there's a couple reasons. One is um, this is part of his theory of the case of the greater Soviet Union, right? He wants to go back and have a buffer for his country. He, he, I think he feels this personally. I, I, when I spent time with him, he would talk about greater Russia and, and Russian history. We saw him explicate that a little bit. I guess it was yesterday when he made his long speech. He, he feels aggrieved and he wants to vindicate that. So I think that's one piece. Second, I think he sees uh, a weak West. I think he sees a weak United States. I think he sees Germany that is a supplicant because of the energy needs. And he thinks he can push and push and push. So you know, your point about the cost and benefit, I think he believes that the cost will end up ultimately being something he can truly manage. The upside, if you're Vladimir Putin, is that you get to cre create and sow chaos in the West. You get okay. to upset the apple cart in many ways. He definitely wants to drive a wedge uh, between the NATO countries. But Germany this morning came out and said Nordstrom 2, they're going to suspend certification now on it. Um, Putin has invested, uh, you know, $15 billion in that. And uh, Biden is going to hurt him on the dollar, dollar transactions. So Putin's going to get hurt. And uh, for this kind of dream that I'm going to be uh, the Russian Napoleon, I'm going to restore the glory, it seems to me to be megalomaniacal. Am I wrong? There, there, no, there's a piece of that. This is, Bill, Bill, you've watched this guy an awfully long time. I've spent time with him. There's a piece of that that is at the center of his, his personality. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And you're, you're right about some of the costs, but remember, he's been through this before. When he took Crimea, he was threatened with big sanctions. He survived just, just peachy. Um, he just needs to take care of his eight oligarchs. If the Russian people suffer, not his first choice, but you know, not the end for him. And finally, don't forget the benefit he's getting. I don't know what it's trading at as we sit here. 97 bucks a barrel, 98 bucks Brent crude. Uh, that is an enormous windfall for Russia when energy prices are 50% higher than they were a year ago and 100% higher than they were during the four years we were in office. But he's not going to be able to get dollars for the oil. So if he wants <laughs> yen, he'll get yen. He's not going to get dollars for it. Now, I spent some time with uh, President Trump recently, as you may know, with the O'Reilly uh, Trump history tour. I got to reverse that Trump O'Reilly history tour. <laughs> and he told me flat out, if he were president today, if he were reelected, Putin would not be doing any of this. Do you believe that? I do. Best evidence bill that I have, the only thing that's changed was who was leading the United States of America. Vladimir Putin hasn't changed. His view of the world hasn't changed. His calculus simply changed because America was weak. All right. So Trump told me that he had an arrangement with Putin. And the arrangement went down. It was a personal arrangement. It wasn't you and Lavrov wasn't a negotiator. It was, you don't embarrass me, I won't embarrass you. Was that your understanding? You know, I don't want to speak to that if the president wants to talk about that publicly, so be it. I, I can say this. Look, we, we lived under this, this crazy, silly Russia hoax for two and a half years of the Trump administration where everyone thought we were uh, Russian assets or weak on Russia. I think we can see that that wasn't the case. And so there were a set of understandings that were taking place that led us to a place where we, we had a deterrence. We put sanctions on Vladimir Putin when he did bad things. But when we found places we could work with him, I did it at the CIA. We, we took down, we saved Russian lives in St. Petersburg. Putin personally thanked me for that publicly. 
um, we had a set of understandings that said, here are the things we can do that can lead our two countries to find perhaps a better path forward and European security and stability on a better path forward as well. Now, most Americans, including me, really didn't understand that Donald Trump, while he was in office, did sanction the Nordstrom II pipeline, that there wasn't any, um, they built it, but there was a sanction on it. What was that sanction that Joe Biden removed almost the first day he was in office? It was a set of prohibitions that uh, sanctioned companies from, to your point, back to the dollar, from using dollars to transact activity around the pipeline. So think of uh, shipbuilders, think of construction companies, think of pipe laying equipment, think of the people who underwrite that, the insurers who uh, create the liability protection for those companies. Those were the things that he unwound. There were Treasury Department sanctions largely that prevented dollars from going to the project. Okay. Biden, without any explanation, immediately removed those was there a gain for the USA in that removal? From my perspective, there's not much to be gained. I think he was doing it to try and uh, build out relationships with Germany in particular, and perhaps Europe even more, more significantly. I think that's the only upside one could describe. Remember, while he's doing that, he is essentially taking down the American energy industry. So I think there was a climate hook to this as well. I think he believed, hey, if we can we can do this in America, we can shut this down. We'll give the Germans what they want for natural gas because they need the energy. They've, they've already shut down significant pieces of their energy complex. We can reach uh, climate accords that will make the world a setter, safer, happier place. I think that was their theory. Okay. What is the difference, in your opinion, between you and Anthony Blinken, the current Secretary of State? What is, what is the difference? <laughs> well... It, it always starts for anybody who works in a, a presidential administration is we have very different bosses. I had a boss who understood about power, understood how to use American economic power, and was prepared to allow me to travel the world and use American power to protect the things that mattered most to the United States and to set the priorities in a way that actually secured American prosperity and freedom. We, Bill, was shorthanded as America first, uh, but the truth is, the, the truth is, when you send John Kerry to be the first American senior official to meet with Xi Jinping and Putin, you are signaling American weakness. You're signaling that you'll sacrifice just about anything on the altar of climate change. And if you're Secretary Blinken, that puts you in a very difficult place when you're trying to push back on the bad guys across the world. Okay. Now, uh, I reported yesterday, and I don't know if any other national news agency did report it, of a massive coal deal where Russia and Putin are going to ship coal to China, who, as you know, are building coal plants, coal <laughs> plants, okay? And we're talking hundreds of thousands of tons of coal. So it doesn't stack that the Biden administration is trying to rein in our fossil fuel industry when the two largest rivals, Russia and China, are saying, we don't care about global warming, climate change. We're going to pump as much coal into the atmosphere as we want. Yet the American media doesn't cover it. I would submit to you that 99% of Americans don't even know this. And that's a pretty frightening scenario, is it not? Oh, Billy, you, you've nailed it. They, they, the administration traveled at the beginning of its time to Copenhagen for a climate summit where the Chinese lied flat out and said, oh, we'll reduce our carbon footprint. While on the ground, the reality was opening about a coal-fired power plant every couple of weeks. 
And this is the other big difference, Bill. Um, when it came to energy, when it came to lots of issues, we accepted the world as it was. We didn't live in a fantasy world. It, it is not the case that the Chinese Communist Party is ever going to submit to restrictions on their carbon footprint until they've got an economy that is twice the size of ours. They are, they're going to grow. They're going to do the right things for their own people. To your point about the Russians, they are massive importers of energy, not only coal, but natural gas and crude oil as well. They are reliant on the world for their energy. And we ought to use the American energy sources that we have that are affordable and clean and drive the Chinese Communist Party to have to pay really high prices for that. Yeah, you, you just misspoke a little. You said Russia uh, is, is massively dependent. It's no, no, China, China. That, yes, China that's massively dependent. Now, does the Putin Xi, Xi, of course, the president of China, does their newfound friendship worry you or is this just cosmetic? And it's hard to know, and in part depends on how the West behaves. Uh, today, I think it's cosmetics. Today, I think it's a, a relationship of opportunity. In the moment, they found a, a, a relationship that benefits them for the time, but they have lots of interests that are divergent. Yet, we should make no mistake. If the West continues to allow them to walk all over us, they'll find a way to work together, and we'll end up living in a world that is very different than ours, and we'll have a Russia-Sino-Pact that puts, uh, puts them in the front seat and puts the West, the central ideas of human dignity and security in the back seat. We, we can't let that happen, Bill. Okay, two more questions. What would you advise President Biden to do now to punish Vladimir Putin, very specifically? I'll give you four thoughts that you could do with a stroke of a pen. He needs no congressional support to do it, just the support of the American people. First. Uh, take them out of SWIFT so that it's hard for them to conduct transactions in dollars and go after their metals trade and the oligarchs. Those, those are the things that have kept Vladimir Putin in power. Those will be the things that threaten him, and you can do those nearly immediately. Second, I would be on the phone and tell NATO, you need to move your forces, your teams, your dollars to help your Eastern friends. So think France, Germany, the UK, uh, go to Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia to make sure that Putin understands that there is a real blunting force available to Europe. And then finally, I would make the case to the American people about why this matters. Maybe that's the most important thing of all. You have to describe that we'll have higher fertilizer costs, higher costs for a loaf of bread, higher costs for gasoline in the United States. If we, if we allow Putin free reign, if we let him move about the cabin, it has real world impacts on us here at home. And when those things go higher, Bill, we know what inflation spirals look like. You only need to look back to the 70s and Jimmy Carter. I don't know if the American people have enough discipline to uh, suffer um, for a greater good that might be down the road. But I do know if we don't punish Putin, that Putin's not going to stop. It looks to me he's a sociopath, he's a narcissist and a megalomaniac. I mean, that's a pretty strong trifecta. <laughs> all right. It looks to me that he wants to break down world order and then rebuild it from the Soviet, maybe Chinese point of view. China takes e um, Asia, and then he takes the sphere of influence that Soviet Union used to have. That looks to me about what he wants to do. And if that's the case, then we're gonna enter into a new Cold War. Am I wrong? Bill, it's why it's precisely correct. It's why we need to get after this now. You remember the old Fram oil commercials, right? You can pay me now or you can pay me later. Uh, I, we should, we, the president should be out making the case to the American people that we are better to do this now, stop him now, 
Xi Jinping will ultimately drive the, the destruction of the current world order in a way that Vladimir Putin can't, but he is happy to be the supporting actor in that very, very dangerous movie for the United States of America. Mr. Secretary, I can't thank you enough for your expertise, you, your patriotism, your patriotism to this country. And uh, you're welcome anytime on the No Spin News. And we really appreciate you helping us out today. Thank you, Bill. Have a good day, sir. Thank you for listening to the No Spin News Weekend Edition. To watch the full episodes of the No Spin News, visit BillOReilly.com and sign up to become a premium or concierge member. That's BillOReilly.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.